And here's our assurance of pardon this morning. That just as Jonah was in the belly of the whale for three days, and then he was cast out, so Jesus was in the grave for three days, and he arose to life. And that life that Jesus has is shared with you, and it's shared with me. In Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. Amen. I read an article back about a month or so ago, and it said that the way you can tell that a man is getting old is he starts to tell the same stories over and over again. So this morning I'm going to tell you a story that I've actually told here before, but I think that it was about 10 years ago. And so a lot of you have come here since then, so you probably haven't heard the story. For those of you that have been here more than 10 years, well, one of the signs of growing old is that you forget things. (laughs) Back many years ago, in the middle of the last century, when I was in college, I had a professor, and he was a devout Christian. He really, really lived his faith. In his life, in his early life, he had intended to go to seminary and become a pastor. But as things turned out, his life didn't go that way. And he ended up as a professor of early American literature at a very secular and a very liberal university. But one of the things that I really appreciated about him was that when he would teach an early American novel or an early American story, he would always point out the Christian aspects of that story. And I really appreciated that about him. One Monday morning, he came to, to, to class and he said, I want to tell you something that happened to me over the weekend. He said, I was sitting in front of the TV and my wife came to me and she said, I want to go to an antique store. And he said, well, i am got yard work to do. And she said, but you're watching TV. And he said, well, I'm getting inspired. And she said, I'm your wife and that's all the inspiration you need. So they got up and they went to the the antique store. And he gave it his best shot. He walked around for maybe 30 seconds before he decided he really didn't want to be there. So he told his wife, I'm going to go wait for you out on the sidewalk. And she said, fine, get out of here. You don't want to be with me, go ahead. So he went out and stood on the sidewalk, and as he's standing there, this elderly woman comes up to him, walking very slowly, and she says to him very politely, Sir, can you tell me where the bus stop is? And this is an interruption to his life. I mean, he's standing there on the sidewalk feeling sorry for himself, and that takes a lot of effort, right? So he looks around, and he goes, Oh, bus stop, over there. And the elderly lady very politely says, Thank you, sir. And she starts to walk off. And after she's taken a few steps, she turns around and she comes back to him and she says, Excuse me, sir. The bus stop is over there? He said, Yes, the bus stop is over there. She said, That's across the street. He said, Yes, that's across the street. She said, oh, so I should just go cross the street. Well, don't cross the street here. You'll get hit by a car. She said, well, then what should I do? He said, go down to the corner and you can cross the street. 
So I just go to the corner and cross Well, no. Look, there's a crowd of people over there. They're waiting to cross the street. When they cross the street, you go with them. She says, okay. And she walks off and she goes down to the corner and is with the crowd of people. And when the light turns, they go across the street and she goes across the street, except that they're walking a lot faster than she is. But that's okay because she makes it across the street. She makes it across the street to the bus stop, gets on the bus, and everything should be really good, right? Well, here's how the professor ended his story. He said, what I did to that woman is an example of man's inhumanity to man. And the reason, he said, that it's, a, it's an example of man's inhumanity to man is that if she had asked me, Sir, why do you treat me this way? He could not have said in good conscience, What I do, I do to the honor and glory of my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. May I tell you about him? See, we're called to be salt and light to the world. We're, we're to stand out. We're to be salt, to be a flavor. But if we just... If our flavor just blends in with every other flavor in our society, we don't stand apart. We have, we have no witness. We're called to be light, and yet if our light just fades off into the shadow, we have no witness. This week is the start of Mission Month here at Covenant Presbyterian Church. And in the next three weeks, we're going to be visited by three different missionaries. Three different missionaries with three different stories. And it's going to be interesting, and we should come, and we should learn from that. This morning, what I'm going to do is I'm going to talk about Jonah. I'm going to look at him from sort of a missional aspect, that, that he was, in a way, a mission. He was a prophet, and there's a distinction between a, a missionary and a prophet. But he sort of fits, in general, the description of a missionary. But you know, in our society today, the way that we've been taught, we, we look at Jonah as, a, as some sort of a, a cute story to tell our children in, in Sunday school. And he, why would we want to take this guy seriously? After all, God tells him to go to Nineveh, and he runs away. He tells God that God is wrong. You shouldn't be out trying to, to save these Ninevites. He argues with God. He never, in the entire story of Jonah, he never repents of his attitude or, or of his, his attempted disobedience of God. But it's interesting, isn't it, that today the Jews honor Jonah. The early church, the early Christian church, Saw him, had high regard for him. And as we saw in our New Testament reading, even Jesus had something good to say about him, that Jonah was, Jonah was a sign that points us to Jesus. The story that we, we, saw, we were read in the New Testament this morning came out of Luke. And I actually should have picked the Matthew version of that story. It's the same story in Matthew, but several verses after that, that particular story in Matthew, we see Jesus coming to his disciples and gathering them together. And he says to his disciples, he asks them the question, Who do you say that I am? And they say, Oh, well, 
we're, we, you might be Elijah. People say that you're Elijah. People say that you're this person. People say that you're that, that person. And Jesus says, but who do you say that I am? And Peter, Simon Peter says, you are the Messiah. And Jesus responds by saying, blessed are you, Simon Peter, son of Jonah. Jonah, a person of honor in the Bible. Our scripture lesson this morning for the sermon comes from the second chapter of Jonah, verses 7 through 9. And this is what the scripture says. This is Jonah in the belly of the whale. And while he's in the belly of the whale or the great fish, depending on which translation you're using, in the second chapter, He starts to praise God. He tells God, you are a great God. You are a God of salvation. You are a God who has saved me. And this is what he says towards the end of that that psalm that he's saying in the belly of the whale. He says, when my life was, was fainting away, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. But those who regard, pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you, and what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for bringing us together this morning, and we pray that somewhere in this message there is something for each and every one of us here. Thank you, dear Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So when we look at the first chapter of Jonah, Jonah Jonah is called by the Lord. The Lord says to Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh. And Jonah says, no, I'm not going. I'm not going and you're not going to make me. Never say that to the Lord, by the way. You can't make me. Big mistake. So Jonah, as we, for those of us who are familiar with the story, Jonah gets on a a boat, on a ship, and he heads in the exact opposite direction of where he's supposed to be going, hoping to escape the Lord. But you can't escape the Lord. The Lord is always with you. Okay? So he he goes, and through a series of, of misadventures, he gets thrown overboard off of the boat, sinks down into the water, and God sends a great fish to rescue him, and the fish swallows him. When we look at Jonah and we see that Jonah is trying to escape, our reaction to that is, you can't escape God. God won't let you get away. And besides, who are you? Who are you to try and run away from the Lord? Who are you to tell God no when God has something for you to do? Well, actually... Jonah is following a biblical pattern, a pattern that applies to not only people in the Bible, but applies to you and I as well. That when people receive a message from the Lord that he wants us to do something, we resist him and we tell him, no, I'm not going to do it. One of the most famous examples out of the Bible, a person who told God, no, I'm not going to do it, is Moses. Remember, God, Yahweh, told Moses, I want you to go to Pharaoh. You, go to Pharaoh, and this is what I want you to tell him. You, Pharaoh, one of the most powerful rulers in the history of the world, I want you to tell him, let my people go. And Jonah's like, not me. No, no, not me. 
No. And God tells him again, Go to Pharaoh, and this is what you are going to tell him. And Moses says, No. I'm not worthy, I'm not prepared, I don't have the talent, I don't have the ability. And God tells him, who gave you a mouth? He says that in Exodus, who gave you a mouth? And it's like, oh, well, maybe you did. Right. One of the things about Moses was we see in in Exodus chapter 4, it says that the Lord's anger burned against Moses. We usually think of Moses as the good guy, the guy that gets things right, the guy who represents God as nobody else could possibly represent God. And yet Moses resisted the call of the Lord, and the Lord got angry with him. When we look at the story of Jonah, fortunately for Jonah, as he's in in the belly of the big fish at the bottom of the sea, God isn't really mad at Jonah. He's, he has a lot of patience with Jonah. And as Jonah is in the belly of the, of, the, of the great fish, of the big fish, he has time to think things over. And, and he's, he's there for three days. And in the second chapter of Jonah, we see that Jonah praises God. He has a psalm of praise that he gives to the Lord. And he's like thanking the Lord that, you know, you are a great God. You save me. You're just like the greatest, greatest God of all time. Except listen to what Jonah actually says here. He says, I remember the Lord and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. But those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love but I with the voice of thanksgiving will sacrifice to you in other words what Jonah is saying is those Ninevites the Assyrians Nineveh was the capital of of Assyria those those Ninevites those Assyrians they're not worthy of this you're calling me to go tell them to repent they're not worthy of it but look at me I'm your guy. I give you praise. Why do you want to send me to the Assyrians? It's kind of like if you remember back uh, our last sermon series in Habakkuk, back like last week and a few weeks before that, long-term memory here. Habakkuk tells the Lord, why are you allowing the Persians to come and conquer us? You are punishing us by bringing a people who are more wicked than we are. Habakkuk admits that the, the, the Hebrews are, are, are disobedient, that they're sinful. But the question that, that Habakkuk puts to the Lord is, why do you bring somebody who is more evil than we are to punish us, to, 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 to ultimately be a, a source of our salvation? Why, why would you do that? And here you've got... Jonah, who actually Jonah lives a hundred years before Habakkuk, you've got essentially the same thing where Jonah is saying, you know those Ninevites over there, they don't worship you, they worship idols. And you want me, a righteous Jew, to go over there and tell them they're not worth it. They are not worth it. 
That's a question for us today, is when God tells us to do something, when God tells us to go and witness for him, do we judge the people that we are called to go and bear witness to? And do we just turn our backs because we know that those people are a wicked people, they're sinful, and they're not worth our effort? They're not worth our effort, but we are worth God's effort, really? Giving credit to Jonah here a little bit, when he's told to go to Nineveh and he flees, one of the things that he might have in his mind is exactly who the Ninevites were. In Habakkuk, the Persians, when they came and conquered and carried off the Jews of the southern kingdom, Judah, they treated the Jews relatively nice. I mean, the Jews got to, uh, to have, were able to maintain their own culture to some extent, and they eventually were allowed to come back into the promised land. The Assyrians, it's a little bit different. The Assyrians were probably one of the cruelest people to ever inhabit the face of the earth. They were like Nazis before there ever were Nazis. They were just downright rotten, stinking people. One of the things that they liked to do was to take their prisoners and skin them alive. That's what they did for sport. Just as we have a custom in our, our, our culture today of shaking hands with people, they had that same, that same, uh, same thing. They, they shook hands with people also. But what they liked to do with their prisoners was they would cut off the hand of the prisoner and they would reach over to the, what the hand that the prisoner had left and shake that hand and mock the prisoner as the prisoner was dying. This is the kind of people that God was calling Jonah to go and deliver a message to. And I have to admit that if I was called to go to those people, I probably would not want to go. I don't think that any of us would really want to go. But here's the thing that we have to remember. When God calls us, when God calls us, he doesn't leave us alone. He doesn't say, you, go out there and do this. The Holy Spirit is always with us. And sometimes when we think that the obstacles are insurmountable that God is calling us to do, they're not. Because the Holy Spirit is with us. God doesn't call us to do random things. God has a plan. And we need to remember that. When God calls us and we resist it, we should think about it and understand, oh, wait a minute, God has a plan. Maybe I need to go along with, with God's plan. And here's another thing about resisting. When you resist God's call, like Moses resisted God's call, and Jonah resisted God's call, and God calls again and again, that's a confirmation of the genuineness of the call. God pursues you. The people that God wants, God pursues. God doesn't just tell you once. He'll tell you as many times as it takes. So know that. When God is calling you to do something, and you back off, and he calls you again, that's a confirmation that he really is calling you. 
Be careful that you don't let your own personal imaginations get in the way. We do that all too often and then find ourselves in trouble. But seek the way of the Lord. Seek the way of the Lord. See what He has to say. Seek what the Lord has to say to you when He's calling you. And so Jonah tells God, you know, I'm a good guy compared to those Ninevites. Why should I go? And God says, go. And so in the third chapter of Jonah, we see that Jonah goes to Nineveh, and he arrives there and he walks into the city, and with very little effort on his part, the Ninevites hear the message. They hear the message to repent. They repent. They do it with enthusiasm. They're, they're very, very militant about it. Word reaches their king, the king of Nineveh, the king of a very evil people. And he's like, 40 days to repent. Let's not take the 40 days. Let's do it now. Let's not wait. Let's do it now. And not only does he repent, but he gives orders to his whole city that this is what they're supposed to do, that they're supposed to, to, to wear sackcloth. And not only are they to wear sackcloth, but all the animals are supposed to wear sackcloth. Just total repentance. All, all, everybody, everything in Nineveh is to repent. Funny thing here, though, about the story of Jonah. Nowhere in the book of Jonah does it say that Jonah ever repents of what he does. But these people of Nineveh repent, and they do it, they, they do it with, with exuberance, with enthusiasm. They get out there, and they just go totally in. And you know, that's one of the things about new converts to Christianity, people who come to Christ. Unlike some of us that have been around for a while, like lots of years, new converts come to the Lord with enthusiasm. They are just so, they just want everybody to know about Jesus Christ. And they don't hesitate when they hear the call, but a lot of us do. I'm showing my age now because I'm going to tell another story. This is a story about a young lady that some of you, if you were here six, seven years ago, may remember. Her name is Julia. And she came to know Christ right here at Covenant Presbyterian Church. At the time that she came here, she was uh, doing research at, at the University of Nevada. At that time, she was a cardiologist uh, from Shanghai, China. And today, she's actually dean of internal medicine at a medical school in Shanghai. But she came here and she, she, she came to Christ and she was, she was very enthusiastic about her faith. And this one day over at UNR, they had a visitor from out of town, out of state, from somewhere, and he was visiting the medical school and the medical school asked Julia to take this person to lunch. And after Julia had taken him to lunch, she came to me and she said, I think I did something bad. And I said, what, what makes you think you did something bad? And she said, well, when the food came, I asked him, do you want to pray or should I? And she, and she said, in the United States, is it the culture that the host prays and doesn't ask the guest? And as a Christian, I had to say, it's the culture in America that we don't pray. 
I, I mean, can you imagine that? But like I said, these, these young converts to the faith, they're so enthusiastic. They bring somebody to Christ, they'll do your work for you. They really will. They'll, they'll go out and they'll tell people about Christ. And so I, I thought, you know, this, this is so pathetic that, uh, that she had to ask me, in your culture, and I had to say, we, we don't pray. But the nice thing is that when we pay, we use money that says, in God we trust. Isn't that great? Is, really, is, isn't that just fantastic? So that brings up the question then of who or what is the God? But anyway, these people are very enthusiastic. They, they repent. Uh, and it's great. Except that Jonah doesn't think it's so great. In the fourth and final chapter of Jonah, we see Jonah with God. And once again, they're having a conversation. One of the things that I've read in some of the commentaries is that they point out that Jonah was in the belly of the whale for three days. And then he was at Nineveh for three days, which makes six days. So the seventh day should be uh, the Sabbath, a day of rest, also a day to be with the Lord. And so... I'm not sure that I quite agree with that, but it, it sounds good anyway. So nevertheless, Jonah and the Lord are together. And as we know, on the Sabbath, we're to rest. We should rest in the Lord. But here's Jonah, and he's fighting against the Lord. And he says, you still, I still say you shouldn't have done what you did for those people. They're not worth it. They, you shouldn't have done it. And God says, you know, I just built you a shelter to keep you from the heat. What's your problem? Why, why, do you think, why do you think that I shouldn't be concerned of those 120,000 people and their cattle? And Jonah's persistent. And he says, shouldn't have done it. God takes away his shade, makes Jonah even more mad. And, and Jonah's sitting there stewing and, and just, he's, he really does not agree with God, what God did. Keep in mind, though, like I said earlier, Jonah was a prophet. He wasn't a missionary, and there's a difference between a prophet and a missionary. A prophet tells the word of the Lord. He says, like Jonah did, 40 days, you need to repent. There's going to be destruction, and then goes away. But a missionary is different. A missionary comes and says, Y'all are sinful people. They don't necessarily say that out loud to the people when they're meeting them. But they say, here's a sinful people in front of me. Here's where, where God has led me. I'm not just going to give them a message. I'm not going to just tell them the message that God has for me to, to tell them. I'm going to live with them. I'm going to become part of them. I'm going to be with them day and night. Not just for a couple weeks or a couple months in many cases I'm going to devote the rest of my life to serving Jesus Christ by serving these people these people who according to Jonah would have been unworthy according to Jonah would not have been worth the effort but Jesus says they are worth the effort Jesus says that these missionaries need to go out to those people and Jesus says that you and I need to go out to those people 
Not necessarily the same way that a missionary goes out and lives with the people for years and years. But each one of us has a gift and ability from the, from the Holy Spirit to be a witness for Him. This month, for the next three Sundays, we are going to be hearing from missionaries who are coming in here and they're going to be telling us about great things that they have been doing in the name of Jesus Christ. I want you to pay careful attention to what they have to say. Because just as they have a purpose in life to serve Jesus Christ, so do each one of us. And I want us to listen to them. I want us to hear them when they talk. And I don't want us to hear them saying, this is what I've been doing, and thank you for your support, which they're going to say, and they'll say it sincerely, believe me. And I don't want you to hear them saying, and to continue in our mission, we need money. And they may say that, and it's the truth, and we should pay attention to that. But what I really want you to pay attention to is these are people that can inspire us. These are people who are who are the present day heroes of our faith. These are people that we can look up to. These are people that we are not called to do the same things that they're called to do. But they can inspire us to do the things in our lives that we are called to do. And you know where God got these people? He found them in congregations just like ours. So in that respect, we're pretty special because we've got people here that God wants to use. God may already be using you. Maybe you don't have to pray and say, God, what is it that you want me to do? He may already be using you. But you also might want to pray that that. He can continue to empower you, continue to bless you, continue to bless others through you. That's what Mission Month is ultimately about. It's not about just supporting our missionaries who go out. But it's looking at their stories, looking at their life stories, and seeing how what God has applied in their lives can also be applied to our lives. How we can live for Him in the fullness of what He calls us to do. In a few minutes we're going to be coming to the table, the communion table. And it says, this do in remembrance of me. What we do in remembrance of Jesus Christ should be everything we do. It shouldn't be something that we just do on the first Sunday of every month. We should always, always, always remember Jesus Christ and what He did for us and that we have a calling to do for Him. When we go out into the community... Not all of us are called to say, hey you, I want to tell you about Jesus Christ and call somebody over. For most of us, that's not what God is calling us to do. 
He is calling us to tell people about Christ. But more often than not, we start with living a life that exemplifies the principles that Jesus would want us to live by. Every day, we, what we do, we should be remembering and doing for Jesus Christ. The greatest inhumanity that man can perpetrate upon his fellow man is failing to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Each and every one of us, with every breath that we take, should lead a life that when somebody sees what we do, when somebody sees how we go about living our lives and how we fit in or don't fit in to the world around us, when somebody sees that and they come up to us and they say, why do you do what you do? We should be prepared in season and out of season to say, I live my life to the glory of my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. May I tell you about him? Dear Holy Spirit, we thank you that, that we are called not just to come to Jesus, but we're called to live for Jesus. That we are called to live for Jesus in a way that others will see and to live for Jesus in a way that will bring honor and glory to God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It is such a joy in our lives that we can claim Jesus as our Savior because Jesus first claimed us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. We pray because there is nothing greater, greater in all of creation or beyond creation than Jesus Christ and the love that he has for each and every one of us. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ because it is Jesus and Jesus alone that gives our life meaning. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ because without Christ we are in fact nothing. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.